0: Welcome to Everything Imaginable, the podcast for curious minds on KGRA Radio. And here is your host, Gary Cochulillo.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Uh, welcome back to another episode of Everything Imaginable. I'm your host, Gary Cocholillo, And today we have Matthew Barnes. He is a author. He's written a ton of books about hermeticism and that's uh, one of my favorite topics. Thanks for coming on today.
2: Yeah, thanks for having me.
1: Uh so what got into um like writing these type of books like on Kabbalah on I can never pronounce that one and hermeticism and, and, and um yeah, and all these really interesting I, subjects. It's really been kind
2: of a a long journey for me. I I really, I guess it started when I was in college, which is about 30 years ago now. But um, I went through a a pretty, I I call it my existential crisis. I I went into a pretty good depression and I just started searching for meaning, whatever you want to call it. And I I happened to live across the street from a really, really neat used bookstore. And I, I could go in there and get just about any book I wanted for about 10 cents, 25 cents. And I, I started discovering the world of, you know, the and the Hermetica, the, um, you know, Buddhist teachings, Zen teachings, you know, you, you just about name it. And so it really started about 30 years ago. But about, I don't know, five or six years ago, I had a friend that was raised really strictly religious and she was having a hard time. And she didn't even want to talk about religion or spirituality because of the way she grew up. And, um, I said, well, you know what, why don't you try the Tao Te Ching? It's such a non-denominational book. I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's not going to hurt your feelings one way or the other, and it doesn't get religious. You know, it's just a good vanilla type of thing to jump into. And, as she tried to read it, she she came back and said, I don't understand any of it. Well, I always thought it was so straightforward. When I went back to read it, I realized I've been reading it for 30 years. Of course, it, you know, was fairly simple, but they use such antiquated examples and, and old terminology. So I sat down with her and, you know, the Tao the Te Ching is about 80, 81 chapters of very short, very short chapters. And we said, well, let's just do chapter one together. So I basically read it and then told her in my own words what it meant. And she was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. So I wrote it down and we did every chapter that way. And when we got through, we had a whole book. So, well, you know, maybe somebody else will need this. So I published it and, and it did fairly well. So I started looking around at the other um, mm-hmm. books like the Dalvasion, like the Caballion, like the Hermetica. Like the Emerald Tablet that I thought that she might like access to, and that maybe somebody else out there might like, and, and and so I started writing them in simplified terms, and that's really just where it started, and and how I got into it.
1: Wow, that's actually really uh, it's such a practical thing, the way way of going about it. Um, yeah, like I would say, like the Tao is one of the books that really um it, like it had an impact on me right away you know i, I used to right, just keep yeah. one of my desk at work and you know when i started feeling right. like crap i'll just flip it open to one of the really short chapters and read it and uh, right. right yeah this is pretty cool i'm okay i'm back yeah. I'm, I'm back you know i can function again
2: right right I, I know what you mean it's really a foundational book i think you yeah. know for this kind of
1: system yeah and also i would say uh the cabalian i can never pronounce the word but yeah cabalian yeah um yeah is also another book i probably read that one first time uh, 25 years ago and mm-hmm. um yeah and uh again it it pointed out such obvious spiritual principles right that somehow I managed to elude me for the first 25 years of my life
2: yeah, i know exactly what you mean it's, it's like why didn't i think of this or why didn't i recognize this before you
1: know yeah like, like one of the things that really first thing and i also um i mean it wasn't until much later that i started to find some of the similarities between mm. Hermeticism and 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 Buddhism and you know Taoism. Right, right. You know. But I would say the first one that I discovered was um the the uh how, how our world you know we have poor opposites of everything. And right, and, and all right. these traditions teach uh teach that and point that out and, and kind of lean towards a middle way of balance,
2: right yeah yeah in fact the buddha called it the middle path
1: yeah um so so how did it impact you like what what, what was your story with some of these books well you know i got a degree in biochemistry
2: and chemistry when i was in college so at the same time i was reading these spiritual works i was i was also you know, going through the scientific end of it. I've worked in a, 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 well, while I was in school, I worked in a microbiology lab, a genetics lab, a biochemistry lab. And for me, I started digesting everything through both ends. Like I started seeing what science was saying from the spiritual end and vice versa. And I remember the biggest thing that caught me was the, I believe I first heard it in the Kabbalion when they said, you know, the the sun's just a, you know, a proton, and the planets are just electrons, and you know, what, you know, just like you have the subatomic atom, that's like an atom on the, on the macroscopic scale, and who knows how many of those there are, every star in the sky is like a, a nucleus surrounded by planets, and what are they forming, what larger tissues are they forming, and that just blew my mind. You know, I, I'm in class doing microbiology and stuff, and looking at all these things, running these experiments, and it made me wonder you know yeah i mean how many scales are we we talking about you know how how many levels deep do we can we go uh, microscopically and macroscopically
1: right it it, it uh, makes you think like well actually do, do you think that we're part of some type of larger organic organism
2: i do i absolutely do i i think we're just kind of like cells on on the surface of something bigger that we don't know and i'm not necessarily saying it's like an animal looking figure or something but right. um, you know yeah I mean I, I do think that we're just kind of like this little microorganism on an electron spinning around the sun that's just part of a much bigger thing called the universe you know
1: mm-hmm. and um, what got you into the Dow you know that was that was one of the first Um,
2: when I was going through my what what I call my existential crisis, Mm -hmm. when I I was going through that, the first book I ever came in contact with that changed my view was The Way of the Peaceful Warrior by Dan Millman. Are you familiar with that one?
1: I've actually never read it.
2: Yeah, it's it's I mean it's a simplified it's simple it's it's just really nice that and um, Jonathan Livingston Seagull by. Oh, I can't think of it. Richard Bach and Illusions by Rich, Richard Bach. I read those, and it was just a whole different – I grew up with the, a traditional dogmatic type of religion. And when I saw those, it just kind of tipped me off to something else. And I remember getting so excited and telling somebody about it, and they said, well, that kind of sounds like the Tao Te Ching. I'm like, what is that? And they said, well, I don't know what that is, but there's a book called The Tao of Pooh that talks about it. So I got The Tao of Pooh, read that, and loved it and said, well, I need to see the source of it then. So then I, I sought out the Tao Beijing and I bet I've had 20 different versions, you know, over the course of the last 30 years or so. Just it's just, it's foundational. It's such a, a good non denominational starting point, you know,
1: right? Yeah, or at least I think so. I, I do too. And what I, I really like about those type of texts are that. That they are so practical. You don't have to have faith. Right. You don't have to right. yeah. have somebody interpret it for you. Um, you you can right. just read it over and over again and come up with different meanings every time you read it, and all of them will be correct. Exactly.
2: Right. And and it's not bound by dogma. You don't have to call the power that runs the earth this or that. Or uh, nobody's going to get upset. I mean, they just. Lao Tzu just says hey let's just call it the way for lack of a better word because you can't name it you can't define it it's beyond names it's beyond definition but let's kind of study it and see how we can you know find it in this life you know hmm and, and I like that I really appreciate that
1: I do too I I don't trust anybody who says that they know what God wants <laughs> Yeah, yeah
2: yeah exactly yeah, I, I remember I had a I had somebody I had somebody in my place of business tell me one time that they were a, a certain denomination a Christian denomination I said, that's fine I don't mean to you know uh, poke fun at anybody really but you know she was telling me that a lot of us were going to go before the Lord and he was going to say I know you not you know and I'm like okay is he going to use your voice in everything because that was really neat you know. Because <laughs> I, I don't think, uh, I, I just don't think that she, I don't think that she or any of us can say what, you know, what God's going to say. Or whatever. Just, you know, I, I don't trust that at all either.
1: Right. And uh, one of the other books, and, and this is one the, uh, I have to say it's a little bit of a, of a tougher read, the Bhagavad Gita.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. I've had a couple people say it's harder Hey, so, are you, did you find, you're talking about my version is a little harder to read?
1: No, no, just the, the original. Okay. I haven't read yours yet. Mm,
2: okay. Okay, that that's fine. I just, e- even mine, I try to simplify it, but I've still had a couple people say, "Ah, eh, this one's a little bit harder. Um, but you know the neat thing, I, I really should have written, I'm working on the Upanishads now, which actually came before the Bhagavad Gita. In in the Hindu religion, I mean, they really started out worshiping the sun and the moon and things like that, stars. And their point of view was that there was something that they couldn't put a finger on that was in charge of it all. There was something that made the moon come out at night and and go away during the day and vice versa for the sun. There's something that made it come out in the morning and go away at night, but it, it always came back. There was a rhythm to the cycles of the seasons, a rhythm to the cycles of our life. And so when they were worshipping the sun and the moon, they weren't really worshipping the sun and the moon. They were worshipping it as a, as a sign of some kind of hidden intelligence, you know. Mm-hmm. And as things progressed, because the Hindu religion is so old, they started saying, well, you know, that same intelligence isn't just in nature. It's in us, too. And so in the Upanishads, it's really, really an exploration of self-consciousness. And that's the one I'm working on now. Um, Bhagavad Gita came later, and, and really, what they did with the Bhagavad Gita was they 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 added the path of love to it. Like instead of just you know, they started with with uh, worshiping nature, then they went to worshiping the the, the con- consciousness within you, and eventually, at some point, they said, "Well, you know what? There's a, you know the path of love gets you there too. The path of path of service and devotion to each other and things like that." So. That's kind of what the Bhagavad Gita was really meant to be, as far as a big picture goes. They call it the New Testament of the Hindu religion because it sounds a lot like Krishna, who is the the messiah in the Bhagavad Gita. Sounds a lot like Jesus. I mean, he's basically saying, "Look, if if all else fails, just love thy neighbor, and you're going to get there." That kind of thing. But but you're right. Um, the Bhagavad Gita is so so old and it's written in such a language it's hard to it, it's easy to miss a lot of the points there um and it's written on a battlefield i mean they they're using the battlefield as a metaphor for the battle of life and you know to simplify it i kind of i talked about how that's what it was but uh i, I didn't use the battlefield in in my interpretation i, I hope that clarifies things some but i, I don't know It's You know, it's a a lot to digest either way. But in the end, that is, the bottom line is the Bhagavad Gita came along and said, you know what, there's not just one or two paths. There's a lot of paths. And the path of love is one of them. And in Mm -hmm. fact, it's the felt safe. You know, if you can't do anything else, if you just learn to love, you're going to get there.
1: Um, You know, like one of the things that I, I also like about Krishna is um, the idea that Krishna can reincarnate is other spiritual beings such as Jesus. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. The, the Hindus are, you know, they're just not so
2: defensive about their avatars. They call them Messiah's avatars. And and they believe that, 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 you know, the avatars have come over and over in the course of our history through different cultures and different time periods. So, like, if you tell a Hindu, not not all of them, I'm sure, but if you tell the average Hindu about Jesus, they get excited. They say, oh, that's got to be Krishna. That's got to be another avatar. In fact, um, Gandhi was big. He read the Sermon on the Mount and said, you know, this, this, I want to learn more about this guy. You know, um, it's just, I don't know. In Western religions, we tend to uh, want to believe that ours is the one and only and nobody else can measure up to that one. And. And, and I'm not there either. I mean, I, I, I think that if, you know, if there is a God that, that loves us and wants to provide for us and, and, and guide us, then why would it send one over the whole period of existence? You know, I mean, I, I'm more with the Hindus there saying that they've come over and over and over. I mean, if you look at Buddhism, Buddha wasn't the only Buddha. I mean, there have been quite a few of them. He's just the latest one that they. You know that they
1: talk about oh yeah the the, the buddha goes back and in some uh, in some of the sutras he goes back like a thousand lifetimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and, and yeah. who knows like like maybe buddha krishna jesus muhammad lao Tzu, right all could be connected or maybe even all incarnations of the same energy
2: right right exactly it could be the same consciousness just taking form from time to time and godless
1: yeah um, so,
2: yeah i find that just fascinating
1: mm-hmm. me too me too and, and, and i and i like that perspective because it leaves it, it actually I, I like it because it's not judgmental to be honest yeah
2: yeah exactly right are you familiar with baha'u'llah and the baha'i faith it's kind of a newer thing, and a lot of people haven't really... Um, have, have you heard of Baha'u'llah? Vahua? Baha'u'llah? Baha'u'llah. Yeah, it's uh, hard to say. Uh, have you heard of the Baha'i religion? No. Yeah, it's it's a newer... It's um, Basically, you know, you have the lineage, you have the Jewish faith, and out of the Jewish faith, you had Jesus and Christianity. And then out of that same lineage, you had Muhammad, who, you know, basically... The, the Muslims believe in the Old Testament, the New Testament. They just believe Muhammad came along with further teachings. Well, it, it extends even further in the Middle East. A, a, a man named Bahá'u'lláh came along and said that he was the next incarnation. And, he, and they call his faith the Baha'i faith. But what he said, and I, I just love it. I think it makes a lot of sense. He said, look, you know, I have come in different forms for a long, long time. And he said, I come in every age. I come in every culture and everybody seems to get caught up on me out of their culture and their time period and think that, you know, my lessons were just for them and they compare me to the other, my other incarnations. But he said, each time I've come, I basically have a lesson. And he said, you know, for example, the lesson of Jesus was love thy neighbor. That's what you most needed to hear at the time. And then he said, in, the lesson of Muhammad was the, the jihad, which was the holy war. But he said, it's not an external war. It's the internal war between the good and the bad within you. That's what you're supposed to get out of that. And he said, he's come again. And he said, my, my teaching now is unity. He said, the world is one land, you know, black, white, red, brown, yellow. It doesn't matter. You know, the world's getting smaller. I've come to teach you that it's time to dissolve those boundaries so again you know just the idea that whatever that consciousness is or energy is whether it's the same one every time or a different one who knows but we've been led you know for, for centuries well for longer than that much longer than that um and th- to get stuck on one teacher or one messiah one avatar isn't the way that it seems like we're supposed to be doing it we're supposed to be learning from all of them um and considering it one big long lesson i guess
1: yeah i i I agree and and i i think it's it's humans that somehow they we we focus on the messenger rather than the message um yeah it's kind of like that buddhist saying um don't mistake the finger for the moon
2: exactly that's exactly what i thought of when you said that too yeah exactly yeah, there's an old, old Hindu saying that God put the truth in the hearts of us all so that we could know God and the devil, not really the devil is a real person. But the devil is our ego that came along and and used that truth to separate us into different religions and different beliefs and you know that kind of thing. It's It's not, it just seems to be human nature that our ego has to say, my teacher is the teacher. My way is the way, and everybody else is wrong. Right.
1: And, and I've always had, myself, I've always had a hard time <laughs> um, with this idea of um, not liking the devil. You know, I mean, I always look at him as like, he's the guy who gave his sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Why wouldn't I like him? <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. You yeah. I, yeah. I, I mean, everything it's has its place.
2: People. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree. You
1: know, I, I mean, very I, I
2: interesting, I, I, very interesting stuff.
1: Yeah. I, I think the, the, our worst enemy is, is our ego in ourselves is believing what we think. Right. Soon right as I, soon right. as I start believing what I think, that's when I kind of run into some issues.
2: Right. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. So, so writing on all these different various topics, um, how do you put them together into a practice, like into like a meditation, or or like hermeticism? You know, there's different rituals. Right, right.
2: I, I'm not so caught up. You know, there's a there was a Zen master named Banky, and and I don't even know if I'm pronouncing his name right. It might be Banky, B-A-N-K-E-I. But he was he's one of my favorite Zen masters because he just he said, look. He said, you don't need to meditate if it doesn't help you. He said, try it and see. And, and there's all these other rituals and breathing. And he said, look, figure out what works for you and just do it. But don't get all caught up. And he said, a lot of the, the meditations and things you hear of was one teacher teaching one student how to do something. And it was really specific to that student. He said, so it may not work for you, but get the big picture. And the big picture is that you're the seer behind the scenes you're not your body you're not your ego mind you're you're the watcher you're sitting back there watching calm and, and 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 you know unruffled untouchable you're the hearer you're the sensor you know and so my favorite way to meditate is to just sit there and watch everything going on around me including my body and including my thoughts like a tree would sit there and watch just life revolving all around it you know i just Separate myself from it, and and just realize if I can watch my body, and if I can watch my thoughts, I'm not those things. But if you try to look at the seer, you can never see it because you can't look at who and what you really are. You can only look in, at who and what you are not. I hope that makes sense. It's hard to explain.
1: No, it does. But make that's sense. my. Yeah, to me, it sounds like almost like standard uh, Vipassana, mm-hmm. shamatha type of meditation. Right, right. But just yeah. not real that's formal. My,
2: right. Yeah, I'm very informal with the way I approach it. I mean, I've done a lot of different things, and that's just the one that's done it for, for me for the most. I mean, there's some others that I've done, but, you know, anytime I do these these works like the Hermetic and the Cavalier and they recommend some, I do try. It. But just whatever works for me the best, that's what I, I use, you know. And, and it changes from time to time. I've even studied Scientology and they have some, I mean, I'm not a Scientologist, but they have some some meditative things that are very interesting that I I got some some real benefit from. You know, one of them is just sitting there and with your consciousness, you know, touch the wall in front of you without looking, touch the wall in back of you, touch the wall above you, touch the wall below you. And it just kind of exteriorizes your consciousness so that you're not just in your thoughts you're actually projecting it outward and it helps you to stop thinking. Mm-hmm. I find it interesting. I, especially like that one, if I'm upset or, or, you know, if I, if, if something's weighing on me and I'm just so caught up in my thoughts, that helps take me out of that whirlpool for a while. You know, I just, I'm touching things with my mind and it, and it, and it really does quieten things. I, I like that one a lot. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and I can tell by your accent you are definitely from the South. Where are you from?
2: Oh, I am. I definitely am. Yeah.
1: Where are you from? I am from New Jersey, but I live in Alabama.
2: Okay. Oh, okay. Well, you don't have that accent, I don't think.
1: What's the Alabama accent? Yeah. 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 I, definitely, I don't think you do. I definitely don't. <laughs> but yeah. But being in, you know, from the South. Um, when you started doing some of the, you know, reading about some of these things and writing books on it, um, did, did any people kind of give you any heat for it? Um, it's funny you say that because nobody around here knows.
2: <laughs> I don't tell them that at all. <laughs> um, yeah, I started out in North Carolina and, and when I started reading it, I was in college at North Carolina State and there was no problem there. I mean, I had friends that were really dogmatically religious and they didn't approve of it. But, 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 you know, on a college campus, it tends to be more accepted. Right. Um, you know, we're all exploring. So that was no problem. But when I, when I graduated, I, I ended up in Tennessee and I am in the middle of the Bible belt and I, I'm, I'm a very casual person. So like the people that I come in contact with at my work, I treat you like I've known you my whole life. And so a lot of them open up real quick and I get, they start telling me what they believe and um, And it always ends up at religion and politics, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. but I, I, have, I found out a long time ago, do not open your mouth about this stuff around here. I mean, nobody's interested. Um, and if you, if you say anything about it, oh, it's just going to be, it's going to be bad. Um Yeah. So, so nobody knows about it. In fact, people come in all the time and tell me I need to come to their church and they'll say, you know, the, they have a friend that's Catholic, for example, and they'll say, well, that's just a cult. And and then they'll say, well, and I have a friend that's a Mormon and that's just a cult, but there's it in the cult. You, You know what I mean? And I get that all day long. And if they think that Mormon is a cult, if Catholicism is a cult, I don't stand a chance (laughs) you know i'm gonna get an earful if i if i say anything so i just and it's fine i mean they'll discover what they discover in their own time so it it doesn't bother me i just try to make sure i don't say anything so i don't have to hear it you know right
1: yeah it's a weird situation you know um the 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 judgment is is weird i think I, i don't oh yeah I don't, I don't get it, especially when you're following all these paths that, that teach non-judgment. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was, I looked, I was thinking about
2: that not that long ago. And, you know, there's a the verse in the Bible that says, you know, why do you care about the, the splintering your neighbor's eye when you've got a log in your own, you know? Yeah. And somebody was, somebody was talking judgmentally and I was like, look, I'm not trying to, you know, get in your face or anything, but isn't that against what Jesus said? He said, love thy neighbor and judge not, lest you be judged. He said, well, that only applies if you're not Christian. He said, you know, if you are, then you're saved and you have every right to judge, which I've read the Bible many times and I never found that part, but I, I think that is what people think that, I, I think a lot of them think that as long as you come to my church, you're uh, you're fit to judge other people. But if you don't, then your vision's not clear enough to to judge. So I, I don't know. That's the best I could find. Hmm.
1: Ha, have, you consi- have you considered writing uh, a book from a, a Christian point of view about I this wrote, sort of, um, type of topic? I wrote Jesus
2: Christ Then Master. Oh, that's right. You um, did, um, he,
1: yeah. Yeah. That's, That's such a um, cool name, man.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I thought that was. I've got Jesus Christ's in master. I've got Albert Einstein's in master. I, I love Albert Einstein to me, came to a lot of the same conclusions that we're talking about, just from a more scientific, more reserved, I should say, point of view. In fact, he said, you know, at one point, he said, if I were to say that I had a religion, it would be Buddhism. He said, I'm not really a Buddhist, but that comes about the closest to what I believe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Jesus Christ in Master is mostly about the Gnostic gospel of Thomas and just how different it was from the gospels of, of Mark, Matthew, Luke and John that we have. And 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 how early the early Christian Church there were so many different ways of following Jesus and so many different interpretations. And really, it was the Church that decided on the four that we've got, and they not only left out the the rest of them that were floating around at the time. I mean, Mary Magdalene wrote a, a well. There's a a gospel named after Mary Magdalene. Yes. We don't know for sure that she wrote it. You know, but. You know, they, they not only wouldn't allow that into church canon, but I mean, they tortured and killed people if they found them reading it. So they had to bury them in earthen jars and we, we discovered them in 1945 in Nag Hammadi, Egypt, you know. Um, but yeah, so I, I do do the Jesus version, the more spiritual Jesus version in the, the uh, Jesus Christ Zen Master. <laughs> because that's what he sounded like to me in there. i mean he kept saying you know if if heaven's in the sky the birds are going to get there first if it's in the ocean the fish are going to get there first and he just kept trying to get his disciples to understand that it wasn't this physical realm that they thought it was at the time but something beyond this realm and over and over you see that they have such a hard time with it um and I don't know, it just seemed like such an authentic version to me. It made sense to me. It resonated with me.
1: Yeah, that that is a good a good one. And um, you know, I mean I know why they left certain things out, obviously, because it was all yeah, of politics and King James version. Right. And, you know, they went right, to right, right. Um, basically use it as a law book <laughs> rather than right. a spiritual yeah. text. Yeah right and you
2: know there's there's been so many changes on it i mean just some easy things for example in the you know the first gospel was written in um 65 years after christ's death and that was Mark. that was the first one it'd been passed down orally before then but we really don't have the first copies of anything until about a hundred years after the death of, of no 200 years after the death of christ and in the And by then there were already so many copies of every gospel and they were so different that we don't know which one is the most authentic, but they all in the earlier ones list women as the head of churches, not all of them, but it's it's obvious that the early Christians did not have this thing against women preaching and, and that kind of thing. But by the year 300, they were all edited out. You know, they didn't have copy machines, they copied them by hand. And by the year 300, you never saw a woman listed as a head of a church again. You know, they edited it out. So it's just kind of, it's interesting. I mean, to me, if if I want to say I follow Christ, I believe he was, you know, a great teacher. I want to know best I can what he originally said, not what it's been filtered down to, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think the most important thing is is the message i I think of jesus i I, I I think of forgiveness
2: yeah yeah well you know again i live in the the bible belt and i'm i'm not trying to be mean towards you i I really don't i'm just kind of showing you what the message is around here
1: i do too and
2: and (laughs) even though yeah 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 i mean they say love with their mouths but it doesn't always come out that way in fact I've had quite a few tell me that if Jesus was so docile why did he tell his um, disciples to sell I forget what they had but to sell something and buy a sword when he knew they were going to be coming for him and sure enough it's in there but I mean that's just one that's one aspect because then when they cut the you know the Roman guards ear off Jesus healed it and said so don't you know don't do that but they I don't know they tend to skim over a lot of people tend to skim over, you know, loving each other, taking care of each other, not judging each other. and I don't know. They seem to find a way to judge
1: each other. Yeah. And uh, I, don't, I don't know. You know what I'm trying to say. I, mean, I, I do. Um, what do you think about, I had heard a story about Jesus where, um, you know, that, you know, Judas was actually his twin brother. And then, Like Judas betrayed Jesus and then felt guilty for doing it. So he took Jesus's place on the cross and he was the one that actually was crucified and Jesus escaped.
2: Right. I don't know. I mean, all of that's lost to antiquity. I, I do know. I read a book by a guy who went back to trace Jesus's steps. Um, it, it, it went and traveled throughout you know that that area and now he said and now he was in islam territory and he said that according to their teachings when the wise men got to jesus they found twins that jesus had a twin but they said jesus's twin was named thomas and they say that thomas gave himself up to be um, executed in Jesus's place so that Jesus could continue teaching. And um, according to them, according to Islam, at least according to this guy, they have a, Oh, they have a temple where um, Jesus went on teaching with Mary and the Virgin Mary his mom. And and when she passed away, they created a, 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 a place for to bury her and that they still worship there pretty regularly. They say they don't know what happened to Jesus, but, you know, uh, it's been debated on whether Jesus was married or not. In in the gospel of Mary Magdalene, which was a Gnostic gospel, um, evidently the other disciples were upset because Mary Magdalene was actually a disciple. You know, they were of the Jewish persuasion and they didn't feel like women were supposed to be involved in such inner, inner teachings. Right. And they also complained because they said that he kissed her on the mouth often. So it's been speculated. I mean, in the Jewish religion, you're supposed to go forth and multiply. You're supposed to be married. And they're saying that if he was not married, it would have been mentioned because it would have been such a strange thing for a Jewish man, his age, not to have been married. And according to the, the Mary Magdalene, it sounds like he was married to, to, um, uh, to Mary Magdalene. and If that's true, it's interesting, because what did the, the Orthodox Church turn Mary Magdalene into? A prostitute, you know, so that, that's interesting. But according to Islam, you know, Jesus left with, with Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene, and went on and taught, and, and may have gone on to produce children, like in the Da Vinci Code kind of mm-hmm. deal. But he went on, and who knows what happened to him after that. All of it. I mean, how do you know? But I wouldn't, I mean, we don't know. It's very interesting.
1: We don't know, but I I think there's clues. And I think some, like, like yeah. just like in the Da Vinci Code, one of the big clues is definitely the Knights of the Templar, you know. Um, mm-hmm. How they mm-hmm. they did, you know, I mean, they, they were persecuted for feminine worship, the worship of Mary and Magdalene. Right, and right, Brinda. right. And he also uh, venerated um, John the Baptist more than he did Jesus. Right, right, right. You know, according to some of
2: the original, original, yeah, you know, in, in early Christianity, they had all these communities. Each community had their own oral gospel tradition, and they didn't know about the others most of the time. And oh lord I, I thought i lost my thought just there oh oh some of the earliest ones one of the earliest groups believed that jesus was born human but became divine when he was baptized by john the baptist and the dove came down and entered him which was the holy spirit and then they believed that when he was on the cross and he said um you know why has thou forsaken me that was when the holy spirit left him and according to that Teaching according to to that group's beliefs, that was our salvation because God felt so bad about abandoning Jesus at the last moment that He decided to to save us all because Jesus loved us all. So in order to recompense for leaving Jesus in His time of need, He said, "Well, I'll tell you what, I'll I'll save mankind," which is what you wanted. I'm not saying I believe or don't believe in that. I'm just saying that's you know there were so many. I, I, I hate that all the different teachings and all the different approaches that were originally there
1: have been lost over
2: time. You know,
1: maybe they've been lost. I mean, yeah. we we haven't. One, we don't know what's stored in the, you know, in the, in the uh, basements of uh, Vatican. Right. <laughs> you know.
2: Right, right, and, right. Yeah, yeah, you're right about
1: that. And we also don't know what we would find if we had access to, you know, say the Library of Alexander.
2: Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. So, so there's yeah. all this wealth of, of um, stuff out there that, that we just either don't have access to or we haven't discovered yet. We haven't unearthed it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, right, right but, but there's a lot of clues. It's fascinating. There's a lot of clues though. Yeah. And
2: uh, it, it, what what clues are you talking about? I, I'm very interested.
1: Uh, I guess I th- I think like like the 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 uh you know the 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 um
0: Nineteen chapters Clark. about
1: Magnet, uh, Mary Macleod. Yeah. <laughs> I never pronounced the name. Um Yeah, yeah. And the, the Book of Thomas. Um
2: Right, right.
1: There's even uh, the Copper Scroll. Have you ever heard of that one?
2: No, no, I do not know about the Copper Scroll.
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. It it hasn't been completely deciphered yet because you know, right, parts of it missing and stuff like that. Um, there's right. all the stuff from the Knights of the Templar and their lore. Um, there's just so much, and, and plus, just here in America, you know, I mean, it. it go you know, back to the nice of Templar, I mean, it's obvious that they came to North America before Columbus. Gotcha. So all, all this was going on for a reason. Right. Right. Um, Very interesting. It it is. I'll have to get
2: you to email me a list of uh, the things you you know, your book your favorite books and things like that too.
1: Oh, yeah, I'd be more than happy to. Actually, I mean, I learned a lot just from doing this, from doing the podcast. And yeah, oh, i bet. different people and bet talking to it. authors. Right. Um, it's really right. cool because I've gotten to speak with a lot of my favorite authors and a lot of the people who wrote the books that influenced me. Right. And right. hear their perspective from themselves, which is really, really cool. Because right. sometimes it's not what I expect. Right, right, I'm sure. Yeah. Um, the Emerald Tablet, that's another one that you've covered that's pretty interesting. Because um, that one has yeah. to do with alchemy, right? Right, right. And it was written by right. Herms. Right. It, it,
2: you know, the big thing is, you know, for centuries I thought it was physical alchemy. You know, turning base substances like lead into gold and Really, it's kind of where chemistry was developed, you know, in an attempt to do this kind of thing. But it's it's just like in Islam, the jihad is supposed to be an inner war between the good within you and the bad. You know, it's been debated that that alchemy is is the same thing. It's this inner thing. It's it's the conversion of consciousness from lower levels to higher and higher levels. And I just, I find that just so fascinating. I mean, it, it, it works right in there with what Buddha says and, and what Jesus says in the in the Gnostic text of, of Thomas. And, you know, just about all these guys I write about, you know, they, they talk about, you know, long periods, you know, Jesus and Buddha both went out for, you know, 30 and 40 days and nights, you know, and, and, and meditated. Socrates supposedly, you know, one night he got so call up and thought he was staring at a star all night long They came out the next morning and he was there and he said i've got it you know i I figured something out here you know um you know i I really think that that alchemy uh, the idea of of increasing in consciousness turning a a base consciousness into something higher i I don't know that's the way i visualize it anyway that's the way I, i i feel that's probably right
1: Right. I, I, too, kind of looked at it as um like a distillation of consciousness, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like, like boiling it down, right. and re-putting it back together, to its essence. And, and keep right. doing it over and over and over again until you get it down to its right. purest form. Yeah, which for
2: us is distilling off that ego, you know.
1: Yes. Yeah, the ego is definitely what trips us up.
2: Oh yeah, and no matter how high you get, it seems to it seems to have its way of working its way back in there in some form or another.
1: I suspect that's because we're human. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah, what we're supposed to be, it's what we're supposed to be doing. Right, we're supposed to be um, learning from the ego somehow, or right? the presence of it.
2: Have you what? ever read the works of Carlos Castaneda?
1: Yes, I have.
2: Yeah. Do you remember the Petty Tyrant? Them talking about a Petty Tyrant? No. Yeah, it's it's just one part, small part, but it just, it's one, you know, we all remember different parts of the things that yeah. you've read, but that one really, I remember it because it reminded me that the battle with the ego just never goes away. And he, he basically, Carlos Castaneda is, is is venting about something and don juan says that's ah, just your petty tyrant and he's like what what is that and he said look no matter what level you get to you're going to deal with something that annoys you and it's just a test that it's a litmus test it shows you how far you've progressed it's like there's people that used to annoy you that you got over and you move past and you don't think about it. it's because you rose up you know you you, you matured you ripened He said, but no matter what level you're at, you're going to draw to you the next test. And Carlos Castaneda asked him, he said, well, do you have that? He said, I still, he said, it does not matter how high you get. You still have it. And Carlos Castaneda says, well, who's your petty tyrant? And Don Juan says, well, you are, which upset Don Juan. I mean, Carlos Castaneda, because he thought they were buddies, you know? And he said, are you kidding me? He said, when I first took you on as a student, he said, every time I knew you were coming over, I would get nauseated. He said, "But I knew you were my next test that I had to rise above." Um, funny story, but I think it shows. I mean, here Don Juan, you know, if you believe the stories, was traveling through different dimensions and planes and all this kind of stuff. Yet he still had his petty tyrants to deal with.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. I, I forgot all about that. I do remember that now that you retold me that story. I don't know why. But
2: that's one of the biggest things I remember about that series.
1: That is great you know because that 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 makes again another one I mean, you just sort of gave him with one of those moments like yeah like maybe the ego is just sort of like um a measuring stick yeah exactly you
2: know? yeah yeah it, it, whatever it, you're getting upset over it shows what level you're at because i mean when you were a baby you got upset when the telephone rang well you you progress past that i mean you've you've conquered that but now what are you getting upset about You know, that's the next thing you need to conquer. Is it money? You don't have enough money? Well, that's your next test.
1: (laughs) I don't know if we'll get past the money one. (laughs) Yeah, that's a real hard one, isn't it? It is. That is a tough one. No matter how much much money I have or how secure I am, there's still this nagging worry in the background. I don't know why. It yeah. doesn't even make I, sense because I'm gonna I die know. in the end anyway. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, and you can't take it with you, but it sure helps while you're here, you know. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. I do. <laughs> there's a, there's a guy. I, his name is something Brown, I believe. I don't, I don't remember his first name, but he was a, he's a tracker. He's famous if you're into tracking, like tracking animals and things like that, which I looked into at one time, but. Um, I like, I'm not a hunter or anything like that, but I love looking at tracks and being able to track something and see where they went and what they were doing, you know,
3: Mm -hmm.
2: not any good at it at all. But anyway, I read this guy's book and he had a friend whose grandfather was an Indian that never, um, gave into the u.s government he he went off on his own and was still living off the land and this was just a few years back you know it was so interesting to think there's somebody living not in a house you know and and i forget where they were but i mean he got real cold at certain times and i remember this guy asking him he said doesn't the cold bother you he called this this old indian grandpa and he said, "Grandpa, doesn't the cold bother you?" He said, "No, because it's actually real." And what it, you know, they talked about it. He said, "Look, you're worried about money. Money's not real; it's imaginary. You know, you're worried about, you know, a claim or, or 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 social status. He said, it's not real. He said, you know, he said the way I live, everything you do looks frivolous to me because it's not real. The only thing that's real is, is you know." surviving it's it's the cold it's the heat it's finding food it's i just thought it was interesting because he's right you know he's distilled his life down past the things the rest of us worry about you know how much more peaceful must that be you know
1: absolutely i would also say probably the most the, the silliest thing i've ever worried about is what people think of
2: yeah and that's a hard one to get past too it yeah. it, make,
1: it makes no sense because it doesn't yeah. affect me in my life in, in any way right right so, so why would I get yeah, my favorite quote I'm sorry go ahead I said why would I even be concerned with it what's the quote
2: right oh the, my, one of my favorite quotes is what somebody thinks about me is none of my business
1: oh yeah, yeah it just doesn't make any but, sense
2: yeah but we all all we all do it I mean, I, I guess until you get way up there, you know, but again, we're progressing. I mean, I'm sure there's people that, that you don't care what think about you now, you know, where I mean, where's when we're young, we worry what everybody thinks about us. And, you know, it just kind of, you get better. You, I, it's, it's hard to get past completely, but I think we do get somewhat better.
1: It definitely gets easier as you get older. I would never mm-hmm. want to go back to being 20.
2: I know, you know. When I first started getting old, I thought I would. Now I just I don't think so. Especially now with social media. Gosh, can you imagine growing up now? Everything you do gets posted on Facebook
1: Mm -hmm.
2: or Instagram.
1: Yeah. Too complicated. Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um. So, so you said you wrote a book on. uh, I don't see it here in the list for some reason with the one on uh, the Zen master of Einstein.
2: Oh yeah. Well, he should be on there somewhere. Mm. You know, here's one thing I found when you self publish as you write more books, it costs a bit of money to update your also, you know, also by the author section. So I don't always update them right away, but I've got Einstein. I'm getting ready right now to publish Dr. Seuss, which is, It's just a little short, tiny, but fun rhyming book about the things that Sue said that really, and it's all about what you just talked about. It's all about you being you and not worrying about what other people think. That, you you know, if you you let other people decide for you what to think, you're going to get what everybody else is getting. The only way to get past that and discover new things is for you to think for yourself. Mm Mm-hmm. And then after that, I've got the Zen of, um, it's uh, Willy Wonka, Zen Master. And that turned out to be interesting to
1: write. That sounds cool. I have a special interest in Einstein because my mom used to work for him. Oh, really? Now, that is neat. Yeah. That is very neat. Do you have any stories from her? Not much. You know, I mean, she she, she just, I mean, for her, it was the normal thing. She didn't think, you know, anything about it but but she worked right. at uh princeton university splitting atoms you know wow you know, for his research wow and um right you know, she just said he he was really eccentric you know um sort of oh, aloof yeah. uh he he would dress real messy his socks would never match yeah. um you yeah know, he, he, yeah. He, he, yeah he was known for just wandering off and they'd find him in weird places <laughs> I'm
2: sure he was probably in his head all the time, you know. Yeah. That's so interesting. Um, one of my favorite stories about Einstein, I forget where I read it, but this kid supposedly he saw this old grown up man standing in front of a water fountain. He had his hand in front of his face looking at the water fountain and fanning his fingers up and down as fast as he could go. And the kid walked up and said, What in the world are you doing? And he said, If you do this you can see the water droplets. Because it freeze frames what your eyes are seeing. Mm-hmm. And so the kid did it. And he said, sure enough, you've got these still images of the water droplets as they're going up and flowing out. And, and it turned out that that was Albert Einstein that was doing it in front of the water fountain. <laughs> that's great.
1: Yeah, he, was, he, was a yeah he always
2: said he didn't think he was that smart. He just thought he was that curious. And, and I think that's a, a big thing.
1: Yeah, I mean the way he figured things out, um, is is really interesting. Like, like, I think he came up with like the theory of relativity, like while looking out the window of a train.
2: Right, and how do you figure that out? I mean, goodness,
1: you know. <laughs> yeah,
2: it's it's amazing. Definitely next level. Yeah, yeah, but you know, to me, the thing about Einstein, the things he's so much of that's one of the things I noticed is while I was writing some of these books, I would use quotes. I'm like, I'm using Albert Einstein quotes and Dr. Seuss quotes and Willie Wonka quotes a lot. You know, in a way they were Zen, they were saying things that were Zen like,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and I don't know. It just fascinated me. Um,
1: ha- have you dove into, uh, any quantum physics at all?
2: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I mean,
1: Gosh, how do
2: you, I found myself more incorporating them into what I'm writing than I, than I do trying to write anything. It's just so complex yes. and they discover new things all the time. But what I've noticed is as I'm reading quantum mechanics, it, it sounds like I'm reading the Upanishads, you know, or it sounds like I'm reading the Hermetica. I mean, there's, you know, I, it's just, I don't even know how to explain it It, it's like the seers of old figured out the same thing we're starting to see but without our advanced technology you know
1: i always wonder like how how did they do that how did they know yeah yeah exactly how did did they know what what we're finding out to be true without anything without telescopes or any way of type of measuring or equations they had right. none of that, but they, had, they know, were able to figure. Um, you know, they were able to figure out that you know something could be in the same place at the same time in two different places. Right. <laughs> yes,
2: yeah, and what you do to one atom on one end of the universe affects another atom on the opposite end of the universe. Yes, um, in fact, I read a Hindu thing years ago where they were talking about that the atom was the basis of of creation, but it really wasn't a particle; it was really energy. It was a wave. And they said, so, okay, so reality is made up of all these waves. And the guy said, yeah, an infinite number of atoms, which are an infinite number of waves. And he said, okay, so reality is made up of all these waves, and they coalesce to form this one reality. And he said, well, let me back up. There's really just one wave. There's this one wave of energy. It's just made up of an infinite number of smaller waves. And my dad called me. I don't know, maybe a month or, well, it's been longer than that, but he was reading a quantum mechanics book, and and he was talking about, I forget the name of the book, he's going to send it to me, but that's exactly what he said. He said in quantum mechanics, now they've discovered there's really just one big wave, and it's made up of smaller waves, which look like they're particles, but they're actually waves, and it's what we call atoms. And so here's, you know, a 4,000-year-old text saying the same thing as they just discovered last year, you know.
1: Mind blowing. Mm-hmm. It, it just, it, <laughs> I just have no idea how they could have known. I mean, I, yeah. o- only think, only, think only two two ways I could think of. One is through like really deep exploration of their own consciousness, right, right? Or some type of contact with higher beings, either you know, right, multi-dimensional through meditation or something, or actual extraterrestrials. Right. Right. And that's
2: interesting, too.
1: Um, I mean, I, I, I'm, I haven't tried
2: to authenticate any of this, but, you know, there, there's a lot of talk about pictures in the old, in the old days of, of, of Christianity. With, or, or, and even before that, pictures and there's so- saucers in the background. And you just wonder, is that it? I mean, I've heard it um, even said that Moses, you know, followed a great light and was led you know out of egypt by this great light and they said well the way they described it sounds like it could have been a ufo and it's you know it's just crazy either way it's crazy whether it was god leading them or a ufo leading them it's just interesting
1: yes yeah but we we don't know
2: Mm-mm.
1: um so do you uh believe in um like multi-dimensional beings or extraterrestrials or any of the Anything like that, or even any type of cryptids? Um, I as far as extraterrestrials go, I'm kind, I'm a kind
2: of a midway kind of guy. You have people that don't believe anything, you have people that kind of believe everything, and I'm down the middle. I think, like, I think it was maybe it was called Cosmos. I I don't remember. It had Jodie Foster and Matthew McConaughey. Uh, That
1: was Contact, actually. Contact. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just the other day, I interviewed. Um, well, well, Jill Tater was the real person that the movie was based right. on. And I interviewed the woman who wrote Jill Tater's biography. That is really cool. Yeah. That is
2: really cool. And, you know, in the movie, they said, well, if there aren't any other beings in this universe, that's a whole lot of waste of space. And that's kind of how I see it. I'm not saying I'm that, that I'm, I'm not going to argue with anybody that they do or don't exist. But I sure do think there's a lot of space out there for us not to have more out there, you know what I mean? And and as far as dimensions go, they talk about this in in the Hermetica and in the Hermetic works and in, um, in the Upanishads. They say that, look, this reality you see before you, it's an illusion of time and space it actually exists in a singularity and all the dimensions are overlapped right before you you just can't perceive them so you know if you take i mean look we have x-rays and gamma rays and ultraviolet rays and all these things that we can't see but they're actually there but we've had instruments or there's animals that can detect them or whatever well what's beyond even them so you know if there's more dimensions in front of us there's it's probably populated you know i've never talked to one but i, I, I you know I, I do kind of see i do kind of believe that this is a multi-dimensional reality and that our senses are kind of bound to this plane unless we can learn to to search in a certain way and if there are other dimensions why would they be there if there wasn't some kind of life you know Right. So I guess that's my take on that. I mean, I, I, I'm not going to argue with anybody if they are, or they aren't. I'm just thinking, you know, if these dimensions do exist, surely there's something else in them, you know.
1: Yeah, and I, and I agree with that also. Um, you said you do some like you don't hunt, but you're you're into uh, into tracking. Um, tracking. Yeah. Yeah. H- have you ever um, like I I interviewed a guy. Couple, oh, a couple weeks ago, and and you know, you know, he he was a hunter as a, as a kid, but then like it didn't really fit with his his spiritual beliefs. But right. he was really into tracking, right. and um now what he does is he, he goes out and looks for Bigfoot. Right,
2: right. Just to yeah. be around nature be. and look
1: at tracks and, and and check stuff out. Yeah,
2: right. Yeah, I like that. When I was little, I had a weak BB gun. I mean, I couldn't shoot 10 feet without it arcing, but I decided I was going to be a tough guy and go hunting. And I actually hit a bird and that thing, that poor thing hit the ground and was squawking. And I remember my dad telling me to put things out of their misery if they're suffering. So I did. And it just tore me up and I, I felt it. I mean, I could, I can't do that. I mean, I know I I eat food from the grocery store and I know what they do to them. And I do eat meat and I get all that, but I just, I can't, I I can't hunt, but I like the idea of looking up rare birds or rare animals in my area and see if I can't spot them. You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Track them down and, and take a picture of them maybe or something like that. I haven't done much of it, but that's really where my tracking ends. And, and, you know, I, I've adopted a lot of animals, dogs and cats mostly. And every once in a while they go astray and I, I just enjoy trying to track them down and get them back, you know? But yeah, I definitely don't, I, I can't hunt. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if Bigfoot's a thing around here. That would be interesting too. I mean, that's another idea. I mean, Bigfoot's not just in America In in what is it in the Himalayas, they they have a, the same thing. I forget what they call it. Yeti, but it's yeah, yeah. I think you're right, and and they say it's in such a harsh environment, nobody's been able to really explore it. But that's interesting. The Loch Ness monster is interesting. I, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've been interested in all those things, and I don't know that I hundred percent believe them, but I hundred percent believe that they could be true. You know,
1: I do too. I mean, people are experiencing something that's unexplained. Um, right. You know, it, so so what it is, I don't know. I mean, I mean, I think like with, with Bigfoot, I tend to lean more towards the interdimensional type of being. Because, gotcha. Because we don't have any bones or anything like that. Um, right, right. Rather, I mean, rather I mean, than I mean, a regular cryptozoology, yeah. gigantopithecus type of view. Right, right. Because I think if it was right. that, we would have found it right right I, I know what you're saying yeah um yeah. But, but it's interesting that there's other species um i forgot it's i think he was in tennessee too i think and um was it tennessee or georgia he was a, one of those states that i interviewed and um and he was finding mountain lions oh yeah yeah and and he's like you know like like the government or like the park service says, oh there's no mountain lions there but but he's definitely finding you know evidence of mountain lions right right now i
2: haven't seen any but i have heard that every once in a while it's spotted um i swear i had a wolf in my yard either that or that was one humongous coyote or dog or, or something um, it was a solitary one but you know they say every once in a while we we'll get a wolf around here and he was he was just plain white which is uh, i don't know i mean uh, i don't know it looked like a wolf to me
1: and it was all white
2: yeah just brilliant white and he was he was big and he just did not look he was gangly like a, a wolf you know what i mean mm mm-hmm and i mean the thing is too though people around here do get on this pets occasionally maybe one got out I, I don't know but it's interesting
1: it is yeah we don't know what it was um it's pretty cool great subjects to look into yeah um so so are you, what books are you working on next i'm
2: doing the Upanishads right now and they really come
1: before the Bhagavad Gita
3: mm-hmm. and I
2: should have done them before the Bhagavad Gita, but they're so extensive that I kind of put it off because it, it takes a, a long commitment. Um, but I'm, I'm not quite halfway through that, but after that I'm looking at maybe the I Ching and the Dhammapada, the Buddhist Dhammapada. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And, and things like that. Yeah
1: yeah those are great yeah. um have you done any um uh any reading of like chuang zoo uh yes yes i have i i, I like laozu better
2: mm-hmm. uh, not better but i just he resonates the way he explains things he resonates with me more but yes i have and and you know, there's there's supposedly a second uh, 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 a sequel to the Tao Te Jing. but to me it reads so different for the first. I, I don't know. Maybe at some point, but I really like the I Ching. I will probably go to, with that. You know, next as far as the Taoism type of stuff goes. Um, and again, a lot of it is you know my friend that is uh, that, that had so much trouble with dogmatic religion. I mean, she was. Taught not just that she had to be a certain religion, but that she had to be a certain denomination. And I mean, her parents are wonderful. They really are. But in this one aspect, they, she really suffered. And uh, when I first met her, she was, she was suffering a lot. And just showing her there's other points of view out there has, has brought her along so far. And so a lot of what I do is I just think, well, what else would she like to hear about? You know, and and then I, I take on that next task. You know,
1: have you considered doing any of the sutras, like uh, like like the Lankavitara Sutra or Heart Sutra? Yeah, I, I've I have I, I, that is on the list. Um,
2: to be honest, I haven't read them nearly as much as the other things that I have worked on. So I, I don't really want to write something that I don't these other things I've been reading for 30 years and Mm -hmm. and through meditation, you know, I've come to where I'm, when I read it, I'm like, I know what they're talking about. Right. You know, (laughs) with the sutras, I haven't quite done that yet. So I I don't want to put myself forth writing something that I haven't feel, don't feel like I haven't experienced to some degree, you know, Mm
3: -hmm.
2: but yeah, I do have them on the list. And I I have, I have a list of, um, Mm -hmm scientists Niels bohr and these other guys nikola tesla all these guys that have you know similar to the albert einstein zen master that the things they say are scientific but it really i mean it it borders on zen you know and thought about doing that there's a female um zen master i thought about doing i I get questions a lot about what about females you know and and bonky the zen master i like so much he he addressed it specifically and said, "Look, whatever it is within us that's conscious, it's in women too. Oh, you, know, what, you know what? You know what is all this hubbub about? Do you just not want competition? You know, it's you know he says that their egos are different than ours, so they have a different they they have a different process. Sometimes, you know, men are aggressive and we compete, and that's kind of ours. And that women have their own set of challenges, but." It's in the end, it's the same thing. It's just getting rid of the ego and finding what lies beneath it. And you know, that's not you know, men don't own that. It's 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 within all of us. You know, so thought about doing that at one point. I, I've got I've got a list that's just too long to <laughs> I'll never get it all accomplished.
1: You, you know, right? How about um, Huna's middle way?
2: About what now?
1: Uh, have you ever read Huna?
2: Is he the one, is he doing the, um, uh, no, I don't think, I think I'm thinking of the fourth way that's about, it's a Yankee Indian that, that describes the four paths of, um, Don Juan, that type of thing. I don't mm-hmm. think I'm familiar with the one that you're talking about.
1: Yeah. He, he's, he was a, a Buddhist teacher. Actually, the Dalai Lama is said to be a reincarnation of him.
3: Who okay, who,
1: who, who was all actually Nagarjuna was supposed to be a reincarnation of the Buddha. Gotcha, gotcha.
2: Yeah, I, I, I'm not familiar with him. I definitely, I definitely want a book list from you if you don't mind.
1: <laughs> you got it. Yeah, I've read quite a few, or at least, yeah. or at least skimmed through quite a few. Maybe I should say. Right, right. I, know, I can't say I've yeah, read everything word for word yeah I,
2: it's same here i i've as i've gotten older i focus more and more on that inner journey journey that that zen that buddhism that Taoism. you know I'm, I'm still intrigued by you know bigfoot and loch ness and stuff but really my journey's more inside now you know so that's that's more of what i i go after
1: yeah well what i find is a, a lot of people who go like get involved with paranormal bigfoot whatever it is, aliens, are all sort of eventually led to this internal inquiry.
2: Right, right.
1: It's it's, it's weird that those particular subjects always seem to lead people back inside themselves. Right. It's almost like what it's there for. Yeah. That
2: is actually, if I was to sum up the Bhagavad Gita, that's it. He said, Look, there's so many paths, and they all lead to the same spot. He said, The only person wasting time is the one telling somebody else that they're taking the wrong path.
1: That's beautiful. That's great. Yeah.
2: So you know, they he said, Yeah, there's the path of introspection, there's a the path of prayer, there's a the path of service to others. There's all these paths, and he said, But they all lead back to the same point. So, you know, we're all born with this ego that has a certain way that it, it understands and comprehends and, it, and at first you're going to have to use the ego it's going to tell you what what path you're going to take but eventually that path is there to dissolve the ego and to move past it but it doesn't matter you know what you know if you see somebody on the path it doesn't matter if it looks like yours or not they're going to get to the same place just leave them alone
1: yeah yeah and and i i think also um People recognize each other that are sort of on the same going in the same direction. Like right. wavelength. Yeah. yeah. It's like yeah. we just automatically and, find each other.
2: Yeah. I, I don't remember if it was in the Bhagavad Gita or the Panishads. I think it's the Panishads, which you know I'm still doing right now. But there was a story. Have you ever read um oh Yogananda's book? I
1: love it. Um, Autobiography of a yogi? yes yes one of my all-time favorites
2: yes do you remember the part where he went to some kind of some kind of convention and i think his i think his um his teacher was Yup maybe i don't even know if i'm saying that right mm-hmm. but they go to a convention and his teacher looks around and he's all giddy and he sees this I think it was like a Catholic Bishop across the room and they look at each other and smile and start laughing and they go and they hug each other. And you know, afterwards, Yogananda said, who was that? And his teacher said, I uh, I don't know. And he said, well, you talked to him. He said, no, 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 I didn't talk to him. I don't know what he's speaking, but he doesn't speak my language. And he said, well, who is he? He said, he's my brother. It's like, well, how is that? And he said, he's there. He said, he's of a different religion. He's from a different country but i can tell he's there and he could tell it when he looked at me too i just thought that was very interesting
1: yeah yeah that is a fantastic book it's definitely oh yeah definitely yeah. one of my favorites
2: yeah absolutely um and he wrote a version of the bhagavad-gita too although his is if you think the others are complicated his are like two or three encyclopedias worth of complications <laughs> but i mean. It, it's really good but every like every person on the battlefield represents a different emotional state that you know that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah. so it's 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 deep
1: <laughs> that'd be a little overwhelming for me
2: mm. it, it was it, it was it was hard it, it was deep it was a bunch to to
1: wade through for sure wow yeah I guess i've seen it but i've never read it yeah. Uh, I'm not really yeah, good. I used to get the
2: self-realization newsletters that mm-hmm. they used to put out. And those were really good, too. Cool.
1: Do they still put them out?
2: I do not know. It's been a while. I, I, I've seen recently where I can still get – because uh, Yupp wrote a book called The Holy Science. And I remember – I was trying to remember the name of the book and I looked it up recently. I saw where I could still get it, but I don't know if it's if the self-realization society or whatever they're called. I don't know if they're still doing it or if, um, you know, if it's just copies that are in circulation now, but
1: yeah, I, I don't know. Hmm. Interesting. Um, so let me wrap this up. Um, where can my listeners find you?
2: Um, i tell you what the easiest way to contact me is Dr. DR. Matthew Barnes. So DR. Period M A T T H E W 12 at gmail.com. And my website is www.matthewbarnes 101.com. All
1: right. Well, what I'll do is I'm going to. In the notes of this episode, I will post a link to the website and I will also post a link to your Amazon uh, page with all your books. Okay. So that way my Sounds listeners can, can find you and, and check you out. And I really appreciate yeah. you taking the time to come on today. This was a fantastic interview. Oh. I mean, you and I, we're definitely on the same page.
2: I was getting ready to say I enjoyed it. I don't have this conversation with many people, so it's, it's nice. I very much enjoyed it,
1: yeah, me too. and you're welcome back anytime. Anytime you come out with something new or or just have a, have a thought that you want to talk about, just send me an email and we can do an episode on it.
2: Sounds sounds good and don't forget to send me a list of your books pretty please.
1: You will. I will. I'll take care of that uh, maybe tonight. Sounds good. Sounds all right, good. so I'm just gonna play the outro and we'll wrap it up. Okay, sounds good.
0: Thank you for listening to Everything Imaginable on KGRA Radio. You can reach Gary at everythingimaginable2020.com or email him at everythingimaginable2020 at gmail.com. He's also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. You can buy T-shirts, coffee mugs, and other merchandise to support the costs of producing this podcast. Click on the merchandise link at the top of his page, www.everythingimaginable2020.com. Oh yes, I almost forgot, you can buy his book, Enlightenment Guaranteed. It's the only book on Zen that you'll ever need, and it's on Amazon. It'll change your life, because remember, everything that exists was first imagined. Hey, if you love what you listen to, don't forget, rate, review and subscribe.